Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 97. A little late today, as we talked about on Monday's podcast, back from camping in Door County up in the Green Bay area. Went past A.J. Dillon's spot, A.C. Tap in Door County. Didn't stop. He might have been there. We're not sure. Well, we are going to talk about Packers-Falcons this weekend after an incredible start in Chicago with a resounding win over the rival Bears and a three-touchdown no-turnover game for Jordan Love and all the good things that came out of that. Now you've got a downshift, still only week two, and a pretty tough matchup with a young Falcons team, good head coach, you're on the road for the second straight week, and the injury report is a little iffy as we get set for week two. We'll talk about all that. Aaron Jones still on there, Christian Watson, Quay Walker, David Bakhtiari, who is all going to play on Sunday. The point spread has swung quite a bit, too. We'll talk about that as well. And we will go over Aaron Rodgers' season over. Five plays in New York. Just crazy that it came and went that quickly. He had surgery already on the Achilles tendon. Sounds like he's going to come back. I don't know if there was any doubt about that when he went down. I don't think he was ever going to play five plays for another team, and then that was it for his NFL career. He made some allusions to that in his post after his surgery. Must have been on Wednesday. We'll talk Badgers and Georgia Southern. They try to get back on the right track, and the Brewers keep on rolling. Another series win. Put a check mark next to that series against Miami. Washington in town at AmFam Field starting tonight. Just keep winning series, and they should be on their way to October baseball. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. In time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run. Morgan, a smash up the middle, face hit to center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's a interception, and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in. trip up in Door County at Newport State Park for the past few days. That's why the podcast day coming a little bit later than we normally do. Try to have it up by 1030 or 11 o'clock on a Friday. It was nice. Nice weather up there. Just a little fall color in Door County right now. Just starting to settle in. But if that's something you want to go explore, there are a lot of great state parks, a lot of good hiking trails up in that part of Door County. Once you get past all the stuff that you normally associate with Door County and Fish Creek and Egg Harbor and all the shopping and the ice cream and the breweries and all that kind of stuff, a lot of really good hiking the further north you go. And we did a lot of hiking. We also learned about the structural integrity of a tent sleeping mat being maybe the most critical component to a camping trip, no matter how many preparations you do. And you've got all the right stuff, and it's all set up properly. If that sleeping mat falls apart and you're on the cold, hard ground, it makes things pretty tough. We learned that that rocketed up the power rankings of things you have to make sure that you've got put in right order before you head out on a camping trip. But it was nice. It was a really nice time of year to be up there. A lot of wine and harvest fest. They're getting set for their October fest and all that kind of stuff in the next three or four weeks. Good to be up there and kind of hanging around that little title town area on our way to and from. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers first, and then we'll segue into Packers and Falcons this weekend. Wow. That's all I can say. Wow. 
five plays. I'll be honest. I didn't even have the beginning of the game on. I saw on Twitter, because it was the remembrance of September 11th, and the game is in New York, that's always going to be an element. And they had Rodgers run out there like William Wallace with the American flag. It was reminiscent of... Chris Gizzy, all the way back in 2001, the Packers were supposed to play in New York when the attacks happened that Tuesday. They were supposed to be playing against the Giants that Sunday. Remember then they made that the last game of the year? And I'm pretty sure that's the game where Brett Favre handed Michael Strahan the single-season sack record on a platter. Remember that in the fourth quarter? He needed one sack, and he rolled right to his side and basically laid down. That was supposed to be a week two game. And then the first primetime game in the NFL when they resumed play in week three was Packers and Redskins at the time on Monday Night Football. And they had Chris Gizzy on the team as a special teamer, Air Force reservist, and graduated from Air Force. Because of that, he took the American flag. And remember, he sprinted out and all the crowd had those little American flags. That's kind of what that reminded me of. Not as fast as Gizzy. Gizzy was obviously jacked up that night as a lot of people were. The adrenaline was going. But that moment happened. Then I turned on the Brewer game because the Brewers are in a pennant chase and a division chase. To me, that was more important. I was going to check in on the Jets game throughout the night and just kind of see how Rodgers looked. I hop on Twitter 10 minutes later, maybe, or less than that, and everybody's freaking out. And I start to get texts from a bunch of buddies and people I haven't heard from in a while. So, oh, my God, Rodgers is done. Is the season over? I thought, you've got to be kidding me. And I saw the highlight of him going down. Then he got up kind of standing around the huddle, and then sat right back down, and then the cart came out. I thought, oh, my God. This was the number one storyline in the NFL basically the entire offseason. Then you had to put in the hard knocks component to it, too. Hall of Fame quarterback in a new spot. All the eyes were on that team and what they could maybe accomplish this year with a top-tier defense. They brought in some weapons for him, basically all the old Packer weapons. How was he going to fare with a new franchise for the first time in his career? I think that's the number one off-season plot, wasn't it? For it all to be over that quickly on one hit. But we all knew, if you watched the NFL, if you watched Hard Knocks, that offensive line, the Jets' offensive line, was so bad last year. And they did nothing to improve it, really. They talked about that during the Hard Knocks episodes, about how they were going to have to elevate their game because they've got this precious commodity, a Hall of Fame quarterback at the end of his career, You've got to find a way to protect him. And I think most NFL fans, and especially Jets and Packers fans, who have obviously they're learning about Aaron Rodgers. We know Aaron Rodgers' mobility isn't what it once was. How could it be when you're pushing 40 years old? Nobody's mobility is what it once was when they were 24 when you're pushing 40. And you saw that offensive line and thought, God, a 39, soon-to-be 40-year-old quarterback who doesn't have the mobility he used to behind a bad offensive line. And Rodgers is a quarterback who loves to hang on to the ball. We know that as Packer fans, too. He waits until the last second and tries to string plays out as long as he can. Say what you will about the Packers and whether or not they gave him the appropriate weapons at wide receiver or tight end or running back during his time. They always made sure their offensive line was at least a good, maybe not the best in the league, but a good offensive line to protect that asset. And the Jets really didn't do that. And you just kind of thought, I I remember watching those last episodes of Hard Knocks. There was about a 10-minute segment in the fourth episode of Hard Knocks where they talked about that pretty much as the A topic of that story, of that episode, of having to get everybody on the same page and step their game up, and he was taking offensive linemen under his wing and trying to explain to them what they're looking to accomplish and how they can better protect him. You just thought, oh boy, I don't like this. This is like buying a $40 million mansion and not buying fire insurance or flood insurance. (laughs) If you're going to spend that amount of money 
in terms of money and draft capital, and then you're not going to put the protection, you're not going to buy the insurance? I don't know about this. Sure enough, five plays in, rusher comes unblocked, takes him down, and he fell awkwardly. The Achilles, it's just one of those things. It's just the way he fell, his age, and how his foot kind of got stuck in the turf there. We saw a lot of uproar on Twitter from NFL players, both current and former, talking about that field turf and how that had an impact. Just unreal. Five plays. It was the epitome of the South Park, and it's gone. The cart came out to get him. When initially when the cart came up to get him, I had those visions of the countdown we did of the best Packer Bear games of my lifetime. What was it, number four? I already forgot my own top five. The number four game, it's Mani, where he had the cart come out to get him. It looked like his season was over. It looked like the Packer season was over, which it ultimately kind of was. We didn't know it at the time, but that season ended up being trash anyway. That week one, when he went down, though, and then he comes back out, I kind of thought that was going to play out the same way, where he would somehow find a way to get shot up with whatever cocktail they gave him in 2018 in Green Bay that let him say it's money, and he'd be back out there. As the story continued to develop, though, and more reports came in, and they started talking about Achilles, and it just seemed like, man, is he really done? He's really done. He's done. The next night or that night or the next day, done for the year. Torn Achilles. He did post on Instagram post-surgery. He actually had a doctor fix his Achilles tendon. I guess he trusted them enough. He didn't bring in a shaman to fix to fix all of the tendon issues he had. He actually went to a doctor. Hmm. Interesting. And he put at the end of that Instagram post that I shall rise again. He had some quote, and then at the end of it, he said, I, I shall rise again, very dramatically. It sounds like he's probably going to be back. It would be very odd if this Hall of Fame quarterback played his whole career in one spot except for five plays. That would be so weird. You see a lot of these guys move on to different teams at the end of their careers and play a year or two. It would be bizarre to see a guy like that with his pedigree, with his resume, spend his whole career with one team and then play five plays for another team. He'll be back, I am certain, next year. And because there's no quarterback for the Jets, that's an heir apparent. I think they were hoping over the course of two or three years that he'd make Zach Wilson at least palatable. Zach Wilson went in there and did Zach Wilson things. We saw that Zach Wilson all season last year. They won in spite of him because that defense is so good. And Garrett Wilson made a circus catch in the end zone for a touchdown. That's the wildest part of all. They came back and won that game. We lost our Bills minus three bet. And Jack's Pub, did you see that Jack's Pub storyline in Milwaukee? We blogged about it on Tuesday after the game on Monday, but we also blogged about it back at the end of August. That's that bar on Brady Street in Milwaukee that said it basically was a Jets lose you booze promotion. If you watched the Jets game at Jack's Pub and you started a bar tab, I forget what it was, 15 minutes before the game started, the Jets game, and Aaron Rodgers started that game, if they lost, your bar tab was free. They were packed in, of course, because it was a Monday night game. And then I did kind of feel bad for the people that were there watching that game. Maybe some of them were cheering an injury and genuinely were excited Rodgers got hurt. I don't know that anyone's really excited. I did laugh at some memes. I mean, come on, they're memes. You're going to laugh at them. I don't know any Packer fan in my life that was genuinely cheering. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers went down. He's out for the year. Serves him right. There are probably some fans that felt that way. Nobody in my sphere. They had a reporter, though, Fox 6 or somebody, Channel 4, had a reporter that was there documenting the whole night because it was such a news story. They had the film rolling as Rodgers went down, and the bar, all the people at the bar cheered. I don't think they were cheering, sticking it to Aaron Rodgers. They got caught in a moment where they realized that the likelihood of a free bar tab five plays into the game when you've got the Jets and you know Zach Wilson is coming in and the Bills have been one of the best teams in the AFC over the course of the last three years. 
I'm certain everyone there thought they were drinking and partying for free that night. That's what they were cheering for. I don't know. Maybe maybe some of them. I shouldn't speak for everybody. <laughs> maybe some of them were actually excited for whatever reason that Aaron Rodgers got hurt or they felt like that served him right somehow. Most of them, though, were cheering the idea of, hey, we get a free night, so let's load it up. And I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. You see Zach Wilson trot his ass out there. You're thinking, all right, get a burger, get the high end, get the Johnny Walker blue out, get all the good stuff. I want a beer and another beer to keep this beer company while I'm drinking the other beer. Then the Jets come back and somehow win that game. Josh Allen, I guess we'll find out if he's got a real problem with turnovers, which we saw last year. I ascribe that mainly to injuries, both to him and to a lot of their key weapons last year. It seemed to carry over into week one. Now, that Jets defense may just be that good. That Jets defense was pretty much that good last year, and they appear to be better, which if you're a Jets fan, I do have some empathy for Jets fans after watching that game on Monday because it is clear they have a defense that if it's healthy, that's going to be a top five minimum, probably top three, maybe number one defense in the league. You can see what they were thinking. If we can just get Rodgers to survive this season behind this offensive line, you've got a Hall of Fame quarterback with this defense and Garrett Wilson on the rise, and we got a couple of weapons that Rodgers is comfortable with. You saw on Monday, despite Rodgers getting hurt, exactly what they were thinking as their scheme to get to the playoffs or win the division or make a run to the Super Bowl. You saw it because that defense is so good. I suppose we'll find out if that is a part of the Josh Allen issue from Monday, but he's turning the ball over like late-stage career Tony Romo. He had three picks, a fumble, should have had two fumbles, should have had five turnovers. The Jets storm back. They get the lead, 16-13. to Then the Bills hit that doink field goal. It doinked in to tie the game, goes to overtime, and the Bills get it. They go three and out, and the Jets get a punt return for a touchdown. That guy that returned that for the touchdown for the Jets, if you watched Hard Knocks, he was one of those undrafted rookie free agents. They had two that made the team. He was one of them because he was so electric as a special teamer. If you watch those that season, you kind of got to know him. I felt good to see him have that kind of a moment on that stage with a game-winning walk-off punt return. But then the Jacks pub, the atmosphere there must have just clunked as everybody realized, oh, my God, the last three hours or three hours and ten minutes that we thought we were all drinking for free, we weren't. There was a report I saw. Somebody went back. A reporter went back and talked to the bar manager at Jack's Pub, and the report said that they they thought the average bar tab that night was around $110, and they felt like they had a little over 300 people that filtered in and out for that promotion which if you do some light math there, some calculator math, that would mean they cleared about forty grand on Monday because of that Jets comeback win after Rodgers went down. They've also shifted the promo. That news came out today. People were wondering because the stipulation on that promo was that Rodgers has to start the game. That's the number one stipulation. Well, he's not going to start a game the rest of the year. What happens to that promotion? Just get rid of it. They've now changed it to if the Jets win, <laughs> you booze. If you go and watch a Jets game at Jack's Pub now and they actually win the game, then your tab is free. If you start at 15 minutes ahead of time and you watch the entire game there. They flipped it. They just flipped it on its head. Rodgers done. He'll be back. I don't know if he's going to play more than one year there. I always thought he'd probably play two. My thinking was he'd play this year, and they likely make the playoffs as a 9 or 10 win team. I didn't see them. What was their win, their season loss win total over under? You can tell me that, right? Nine and a half, I'm pretty sure, which would have meant finishing 10 and 7. The AFC's tough. The AFC East is tough. The Dolphins look great. Patriots defense looks legit. I guess we'll find out if Buffalo can hang and if Josh Allen just has this turnover issue now. I don't know. 
what they become. If he gets back to MVP form, that's another elite team in that division. For all those reasons, I thought, yeah, 10 and 7, they probably make the playoffs. They probably win a playoff game, a wild card game, maybe out in the divisional round. He'd play out that string and then say, okay, we made the playoffs, had a winning year. We won a playoff game. I'll come back for one more year, add a few things to the offensive line, try to make a legit title run the next year. I always thought he was there for two years. We'll see if he sticks to that or if he stays a little bit longer now because this year is a total wash. What a story, though. Five plays into the year. Just nuts that it's over for him this year in New York. And we're going to get to our picks at the end of this. I think you got to ride now with any team playing the Jets that has a good defense, and that's the case this weekend. We'll talk about that when we make our picks coming up. Packers and Falcons this weekend. Can they build on the week one hype? We weren't sure what to expect. I said on the podcast heading into Packers-Bears weekend, If you told me they win by 17, I'd say sure. If you told me they lose by 17, I'd say sure. We didn't really know. Despite a lot of players coming back, the biggest X factor is what does the quarterback transition look like? Quarterback's the most important position, arguably, of any team sport. What was he going to look like? And he kept his nose clean. No turnovers, three touchdowns. He made the plays he had to make. Romeo Dobbs had a couple of touchdown catches. Aaron Jones sparked the offense. And they win by 18. Nothing but good vibes. Nothing but good vibes in Packerland the entire week because of that win over the hated rival, especially the rival that was chirp, chirp, chirp in the entire offseason about how this was their time and they finally have a wide receiver. Justin Fields is going to make the leap. He's an MVP candidate. We're going to win 10 games, turn things around. We're going to take back the North. We heard all of that all offseason. And then to go in there and love have a good game, the defense looked good, and to win by 18 and basically the game's over in the third quarter, oh, that was sweet. I'm getting jacked up. I'm sweating all over again. Now, can you downshift as a fan? They can't downshift. Can we downshift as a fan and just settle into the recliner now? Just settle into that ass groove in the recliner. It's week two. We've got a long way to go. There are going to be ups and downs. They're not going to come out and win 38-20 every week. This is me, again, I, as you've, if you listen to the podcast, you know I do a lot of these self-motivational talks to myself in the mirror. All right, John, it's just week two. It's not going to look like that every week. The Bears might be bad. Even if Jordan Love has a lot of games like that, he's going to have difficult stretches where he has more turnovers than touchdowns probably. That's all going to happen. That's all going to be a part of this year. What can you do in Atlanta? If they win, by the way, in Atlanta, this is only the third time in franchise history. I think I read that tweet correctly. Seems kind of far-fetched given how long the Packers have been along, around. I read that it's the third, only the third time in franchise history that they've started the season with two road games, and they've never gone 2-0. Atlanta's sort of an unknown as well. They got a win in their opening weekend game at home against the Panthers, against Bryce Young. Boy, I don't think that Panther team's going to be good at all. We have them under 75 Bryce Young looks so tiny on an NFL field. It's odd. There are some players like that, even though he was so good at Alabama. And a high, did he win the Heisman? And certain guys, they look like football players. Not that he doesn't in the NFL. You know what I mean, though? He just looks like he matches up with everybody in college. And then he gets to the NFL. And even though a part of the subplot with Bryce Young was how small he was. Is he 5'9"? Is he 5'10"? I think they say he's 5'11". Not that that's small. <laughs> Let's get that right. In the NFL, probably, is as a quarterback. You see this guy, and he looks normal compared to all the college football players, and then he gets on an NFL field. Bryce Young looks tiny out there. Kyler Murray, tiny. And as we talked about during our picks last week, that was one that hit. He just doesn't – he's not a scrambling quarterback, and that offensive line is bad. And the Falcons capitalized on that as they won 24-10. to I do like the Falcons head coach, Arthur Smith. As you know, if you listened to the previous podcast, I have a pretty big future on the Saints winning the NFC South. And when I said I made that pick, I said in the same breath, my only concern in that division of somebody else taking the division – 
would be the Falcons. They have a massive question mark at quarterback with Desmond Ritter. I like their head coach, though. Remember I said if I could take Arthur Smith, the head coach for the Falcons, who I think is a good young up-and-coming head coach, if I could take him and take Dennis Allen off of the Saints, who I believe is the biggest obstructor of them winning the division championship, if I could put Arthur Smith as the head coach of that team, I think the Saints would win 12 games and they'd win that thing in a runaway. They'd seal that division. They'd be handing out division champion hats in late November. I do like Arthur Smith as a head coach. I think he is carving out a niche there. And the Falcons last year were frisky. If you gambled at all, they were a team that was sitting at 3-4 and four or 3-5 and five through eight games last year, but they covered everything. They covered almost every game. Their cover, their against the spread record was insane. They kept every game close. Now, they did make the move to Ritter from Marcus Mariota last year. He was blah in week one, and he was blah for most of last year. They have other options that maybe rise up as the season wears on if Desmond Ritter is not going to be the guy. Desmond Ritter was Luke Fickle's guy as the starting quarterback at Cincinnati when they made the college football playoffs. It just so far hasn't translated to the NFL level. They don't have a ton in terms of wide receiver weapons outside of the tight end Kyle Pitts, who's a beast, and it's going to be a tough matchup. Packers always struggle against big athletic tight ends. We'll see if Quay Walker's out there. That's a big question mark. That could be a part of the Kyle Pitts solution. They're going to have to find a way to keep him limited, though. They've got Pitts, and they've got Drake London. Beyond that, not a ton in terms of offensive weapons in the wide receiving core, the tight end core for the Falcons. Of course, they had the early draft pick on B. John Robinson, and he looked solid. 10 carries, 56 yards in that win. They didn't really need him to be a workhorse in week one. Averaged, obviously, 5.6 yards a carry. He is somebody the Packers are going to have to hone in on. Falcons defense is tough. That's probably the biggest thing in addition to Packer injuries. Is Aaron Jones going to play? Obviously, if Aaron Jones does not play, that changes the dynamic of this game. If Aaron Jones doesn't play in week one, I think the Packers win, but it's not 38-20. to I think it's probably a one-score game. That's how important he was, particularly in the second half of that game against the Bears where he had the touchdown catch, and they got him involved, and he had the 50-yard screen and the touchdown run. He was so in the mix, and a big part of that win, too, was you got that big lead. When he left with a hamstring injury, you didn't have to go back to him because you had that lead throughout. I don't think he was going to come back in that game anyway. Luckily, you got a three-score lead where he didn't even have to push it on Sunday. I don't think they're going to push him with a hamstring injury. I just don't see it happening. Again, it's so early in the year, but if you don't have him, that changes a lot of what this team is able to do. In terms of running the ball, A.J. Dillon did not look good on Sunday against the Bears. 13 carries, 19 yards. Hopefully he can get things turned around. This is a make-or-break year for A.J. Dillon. I think we all like A.J. Dillon. Didn't take that step forward we thought he would last year, and pretty lackluster. 13 carries, 19 yards, and a drop pass, I believe, too, in Week 1. If he has to handle a lot of the carries, and Patrick Taylor's going to be out there, will they activate? Who's the guy that made the roster? That last roster spot, I forget his name. That would be the threesome of wide of running backs out there on Sunday if they are without Aaron Jones. But Aaron Jones is just a safety net. He's a guy you trust. He's electric. He picks up big chunks of yards. He's an outlet for Jordan Love. If he's not able to play, and the gambling line flip would lead you to believe he's not going to play. Packers open is minus one. They're now plus one and a half. That's a pretty big swing considering we're not even to the weekend yet to have a two and a half point swing. To me, as a degenerate who speaks degenerate, I would read that as the people putting their money down right now don't believe Jones will play and probably don't believe Watson's going to play. Two fairly massive weapons or important weapons for Jordan Love to have out there, especially in start two of the Jordan Love eras for a fourth start overall or fifth start overall in his career. Those are the big questions. Can Aaron Jones play? Will Christian Watson play? 
I believe Bakhtiar will be out there. It's very similar to what we saw heading into week one where he didn't practice a lot, and then he was out there, and he played at an elite level. He just may be one of those guys right now where he has to probably be doing maintenance stuff during the week to make sure he's healthy enough to play. I don't know how much he needs to be out there at this stage of his career for the X's and O's and all that kind of stuff. He can prepare mentally for a game. He's been doing it for so long. He didn't do much of anything heading into week one, and he honestly graded out as one of the top tackles in football from week one. My guess is he'll play despite the fact that he hasn't practiced all week. And the other one's Quay Walker. It sounds like he's progressing through the concussion protocol, suffered that concussion on the pick six return right at the end as he was going in the end zone, got hit in the side of the head. Those are big names, Quay Walker, Aaron Jones, and Christian Watson. If all three don't play, this is going to be a difficult game to win on the road. If all three play, my feeling is they're going to be able to get another one, get a three-point win, get a six-point win. I don't expect this to be 38-20. to It's tough to win road games in the NFL. It's tough to win back-to-back road games in the NFL with a young team. And the injury element, to me, is the biggest part. We'll go, let's make a pick. We'll go Packers 2017 with a win on Sunday, 20-17, 21-17, somewhere in that. I am not going to have them in my picks. I just, there are too many things up in the air right now heading into the weekend to make any firm feeling on an over or under on total points or on a spread either way. But it has flipped quite a bit, two-and-a-half-point flip. Packers open as one-point favorites. They are one-and-a-half-point dogs as we record this on Friday afternoon. Let's talk quickly about the Badgers before we wrap up on the Brewers and make some picks. Georgia Southern, this is a game they're going to win. Now, the question to me is, is this a game that makes you feel better about taking a half step forward? We talked on Monday's podcast about the result of Washington State and how maybe we got caught up in year one hype. We got caught up in the hype. We looked at the schedule. No Penn State, no Michigan, Ohio State at home, and we started to think. 11-1? and Could they be 12-0? and Could they make the college football playoffs? Could they be in the top four in Luke Fickle's first year with all the four- and five-star transfers and all that stuff? And we said on Monday, the reality is there are growing pains happening every game right now. And this is probably a nine-ish win team, which I should have known when I saw the over-under on the season wins, and I thought it was a cakewalk. It's not going to be a cakewalk. I don't know that 10-2 and is far-fetched. I think they'll be 9-3, and 10-2. A lot is going to be determined in the next few weeks whether or not this is going to be a 7-5 and season or a 9-3, and 10-2 and season. How are they going to improve? We said on Monday, if they can play complete games the way they have played the second half against Buffalo and the way they played the third quarter and most of the fourth quarter against Washington State, if they can get that consistency, this is a team that can win the Big Ten West. This is a team that can win nine or ten games, and this is a team that will be in the Big Ten championship game in December. If they continue to be uneven, this is a team that could be 10-2, and or if they're uneven on the bad side, this is a team that could be 7-5. and This is a team that could be 6-6. and We're going to learn a lot here in the next few weeks. Now, as we said on Monday, this is at a very Paul Christian feel the first two games. You won the first game handily by 21, but you should have won by 40-plus. Then you came out sluggish again in week two on the road against a team you were favored by a touchdown, and you lose that game. If we're going to follow the Chris script here, this would be a game where, again, you don't quite do enough to make everybody feel good going forward, where you win, it's a close game in the third quarter, and then you break away and you win by 14. That would be the Chris script for the Georgia Southern game. I want to see this team come out and win 45-7. to This is not a, an untalented Georgia Southern team. They are not devoid of talent. However, at Camp Randall, 
coming up with an ugly loss on the road that they should not have lost. We hope that this team is going to come out with a fire under them, even though it's an 11 a.m. kickoff, right? Those 11 a.m. kickoffs in Madison. It's an 11 a.m. kickoff against not a marquee team. You want them to come out with a fire. You want them to win this game 35 to nothing, 42 to 7. Something like that where you think, okay, they recognized how lackluster or how subpar the effort was at Washington State in the first half. They learned a lesson. They came out on fire. They played a full 60 minutes, and they won going away, and at no point was this in doubt. That would be a difference to me from what we've seen in the first two games from a Paul Christ coach team in the past four or five years to the new era under Fickle. Because I do think this would be a game under Christ where it's 21 to 13 in the third quarter, and you're thinking, my God, are they going <laughs> to, is this going to be a tight game? And then you'd get two touchdowns out of Jonathan Taylor or somebody, and you'd end up winning by 25 points. And because it's a significant win or a big spread, you'd think, okay, fine. Then on to the next week. You want this team to come out and really seize this game. I would expect that Braylon Allen's going to get a lot of carries. Braylon Allen was a no-show, and part of that was on him, and part of that was on the scheme, and part of that was on the play calling. Seven carries, 20 yards, ain't going to cut it. Malusi looked faster. Malusi looked more decisive on Saturday, and he kind of has in both games, even though Allen piled up pretty good yardage and a great yards per carry in week one against Buffalo. Apparently, there was a long closed-door meeting between Fickle and Braylon Allen, and that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You hear that, and even I, listening to myself say that, I thought, oh, that doesn't sound good. (laughs) Just me saying that, I thought, oh, that's not good. This can't be good. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing for a coach to sit down in a new program with the previous star of the team who's off to a slow start and to talk things out, figure out ways to get him involved. I don't think this was a meeting where Fickle was getting in Allen's kitchen about not being prepared or not enjoying his new role or whatever that is. I don't think it's anything to do with that. I think they sit down and say, you are probably the most talented player on this team, even with all the transfers and all that. How do we get you going? What do we need to do to get you going? That's the kind of meeting I felt like they probably had. I would expect, well, maybe one thing I'd look at for gambling here, it's a 20-point spread. I'm not going to touch that. Badgers favored by 20. Maybe I would look at an over-under on total yards for Braylon Allen. If it's sitting at 125, 126, somewhere in there, I might take the over. This would be a spot for him to have a big game after the way things have gone for him so far. And again, seven carries, 20 yards against Washington State. Not going to get it done. I would expect him to have a much bigger role against Georgia Southern on Saturday. Okay, let's talk about the Brewers, then make some picks. Just win series, baby. Just win series. They did it again. Three out of four from Miami. Adrian Hauser came back off the injured list. Solid, odd-year Adrian. Five innings, two-run ball. And William Contreras, Tyrone Taylor, big parts of the win on Thursday. Josh Donaldson this week. They finally called him up on Monday for the beginning of the series. And he's looked pretty good. He's looked pretty good. Four of 13. Has a home run. Has a double. Again, it's a 13 at-bat sample size. He's hitting over 300. OPS over 1,000. When they signed him, and again, the rumors have always been even though I haven't seen them corroborated by anybody, the rumors have always been he's not a good locker room guy. But when they signed him in the same break, we said, yeah, he may not be, but MVPs aren't just sitting around. There aren't a lot of former MVPs still playing that you can get your hands on. And it wasn't a one-off for Donaldson. He's been a guy who's finished top 10 in MVP voting three other times in addition to the one he won. Now, he's at the end of his career, obviously, coming off of two, by his standards, subpar years in New York. But 
for 30 days, for 40 days, could you catch lightning in a bottle? And even if he isn't the best locker room guy, can you navigate around that for a month and a half? I texted a good buddy of mine when they brought in Donaldson and said, all we're asking for, if you're a Brewer fan from Josh Donaldson, over the course of the last month of the year and the postseason, all we're asking for is for you to have an OPS over 850, to hit 10 home runs, and to not be an asshole for 40 days. That's all we're asking for. 40 days. That's it. Start the clock. And if you can do that, this could be one of those signings where you win a division, maybe you win a playoff series, you make a run, all of a sudden Donaldson feels that motivation and he's back in the playoffs and he's back in the spotlight and he's hitting well. The periphery numbers for him in New York, for as bad as his actual numbers were coming from the Yankees, his batting average on balls in play, the expected average or things that were expected to be hits that ended up not being hits, it was something like we've never seen before. One of the worst batting averages on balls hit in play in Major League Baseball history since they started tracking that, which means he's making contact. He's just not seeing the results. And sometimes baseball has that. You got to flip that baseball script. You got to flip baseball luck. And if you're a GM and you see a former MVP out there and, yeah, he's batting 140, but look at how many times he's putting the ball in play. At some point, those numbers are going to flip back to his career norms you take a chance, and so far it's worked. And he played a big role this week. He had the go-ahead home run on Tuesday, had another double on Thursday in the win, and a run scored. It's been pretty good. Now, Andrew Monasterio's also been solid. Ever since they signed Donaldson, Andrew Monasterio stepped his game back up. He had a great start to the year, then a little middling, then he was dropping off, then they signed Donaldson, and all of a sudden Monasterio's hitting doubles, and he's getting on base at a regular clip and playing great defense. I do like the lineups. You can't keep Terang on the bench a lot because his defense is so good. I want to say it was Wednesday. Maybe it was two, or maybe it was Monday right away in game one of the Marlins series where they had Donaldson at third and Monasterio at second. My expectation is Donaldson, for the most part, will be a DH. That's where he's at in his career. Not that he's a bad defensive third baseman, but just where he fits right now. I didn't mind that lineup, though, as an offensive lineup, because you get Donaldson out there then if he's hitting well, and Monasterio's hitting 270 with an OPS over 700, way better than Bryce Terang. I don't mind that in a matchup or a playoff series where you feel like you need an offensive spark. You don't have, love having Terang's defense on the bench. Monasterio's not bad at second. You'd prefer Terang to be out there. I saw that lineup and thought, mm, okay, get a little offense there. They take three out of four. They are 82-64, and 64, already in over 500 year. Anytime they reach that watermark, I think back to 05. Was that the first year they had a non-losing year? I think that was Mark Atanasio's first year. And I was in point at the time, and we actually threw a party. We threw a kegger because they didn't finish sub-500. That weekend, we got a keg, a natty ice keg on the porch celebrating an 81 and 81 year because, my God, they didn't have a losing year. Anytime they get past that, and they get past it regularly now, there's this whole generation of younger Brewers fans that just don't know what it was like in the early 90s, the mid-90s, the late 90s, the 100 lost teams in the early 2000s. This team gets over 500 almost every year. You can bank on it. And they're making a push for the division, making a push for the playoffs. That never used to be the case when I was a kid. So anytime they get to 81, 82 wins, and there's still two weeks left or two and a half or three weeks left, I think, gosh, the culture really has changed for the better. 82 and 64, a season high, 18 games over 500. The other good news was Cubs in Colorado against a bad Rockies team, they lose the series. They lose two out of three. Right now, you are four and a half games up. Yesterday, Thursday, was one of those days where the Brewers made up a game. They had played two less games than the Cubs. 
Thursday, the Brewers played and the Cubs had off. But you got to win, and that's one of those two now is now a win. You have a four-and-a-half game lead and a five-game lead in the loss column, which, as we've talked about, is something you're watching maybe a little closer, that loss column. Four-and-a-half game lead, five better in the loss column starting play tonight. The Brewers have the Nationals, and they lost that series in Washington not long ago. Wade Miley on the hill, a 7-10 first pitch, 6-10 Saturday. Corbin Burns going, and Brandon Woodruff following up that complete game shutout his last time out with a Sunday afternoon start, 1-10. Then you have your last road trip of the year, four in St. Louis, three against the Marlins, who you just played at Miami, and then you wrap it up with the six-game homestand, St. Louis and Chicago. The goal right now is to get to that Chicago game on September 29th and be four better in the loss column than the Cubs. That would mean the result of that series means nothing. I'd even take three, probably. If you were three better getting into that series, you need one win to seal it. You really want to be four up. Four better in the loss column, four games up, as you hit that first game of the last series of the year against Chicago at AmFam Field, Friday, September 29th. Then you could just take a deep breath and say, we have the division. We probably know we're the three seed. I don't see them ever tracking down the Dodgers in the two seed and having a first round bye. That's the goal, though. The goal is to win the division, get the magic number to zero for the wild card, get the magic number to zero for the division. That's Those are the goals. But you really want to get into that last series. You'd love to have a four-game lead, and that series mean nothing. Getting set to get back after it tonight against the Nationals. All right, let's make some picks. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Never tell me the odds. If someone gives you 10,000 to one on anything, you take it. That's a cool G, Daddy-O. Now you got to let it ride. Three and three on our picks last week. Two and one in college football, one and two in NFL, and then we did lose that stupid Bills bet. So I guess we'll count that. Three and four. And I was feeling like the people at Jack's Pub when they when Rodgers went down. I thought, ooh, that pick's going to hit. Bills minus two. No way they lose this game with Zach Wilson in the game now. No way. And they did. I'm going back to the Bills well, though. I don't like anything in college. The one college game that I would lay action on, and I'm going to, and I'm going to put them on the actual and the official bill. We have four picks this week. So we're three and four. We're going to make four picks. I'm taking Colorado at home, minus 23 and a half against Colorado State. I'm I'm riding the primetime train. Did you see that storyline this week? Jay Norvell, I believe his name is, the head coach for Colorado State. He had some comments about Dion about how he would or his mom taught him not to address people wearing sunglasses and a hat and that he thought that Dion was disrespectful by wearing sunglasses all the time and a hat. Just something so dumb. And, of course, Colorado and Dion, there was a whole video of him on Twitter saying it's personal now. It's personal. And his kid, Shadur Sanders, was on ESPN game day saying, I can't believe that guy said that. We're going out for blood. We're going out for blood on Saturday. This is one of those games where if you're Colorado State, you're probably not going to win anyway. But if you just keep your mouth shut, maybe you have a sneak attack component where Colorado's riding high. It's still a lot of young players. They're ultra-talented, clearly. They are a young team, though, and they're riding that high of the shocker at TCU in Week 1. They take care of Nebraska in Week 2. We cash both those tickets. They've been a bank for me so far. They've cashed both weeks, Week 1 and Week 2, covering the spread against TCU and covering the spread against Nebraska. This is probably a game I wouldn't have touched at 23 and a half, just thinking for how high the Buffaloes are right now. And they're all the way up to number 18 in the top 25s right now. Badgers are out. At number 18, Colorado State's a nothing. They got dusted by Washington State in the only other game they played this year, 50 to 24. Colorado's going to win this game. However, without this added storyline, you could see Colorado State, oh, maybe they sneak it and get a 14 10 lead in the first half or take advantage of Colorado thinking it was going to be an easy win. 
Now you're on the radar. You're just on their radar. Why you would go out of your way to do that, I have no idea. And now Colorado's fired up, and I think they're going to put it on them. I think they could win this game by 60. I think they're going to win by 40. I'll take Colorado minus 23 and a half because the Colorado State coach is an idiot for, for poking a bear that's already put together two great games, and now you have them, you have their full attention. Maybe had that not happened, you would not have had Colorado or Deion Sanders full attention heading into this game. Now you've got it, and you've got the in-state rivalry component to it. It's just a dumb, 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 dumb. We'll take Colorado. We'll try to cash in on the dumbness. Colorado minus 23 and a half. I am going to take the Bills as a bounce-back team. They're at home against the Raiders. I know I said I think the Raiders could be the worst team in football. We have the under on them at six and a half wins on the year, and when I gave you those season over-unders, I said the Raiders, I think, are the worst team in football. And then they come out, and they win in Denver in Sean Payton's debut with the Broncos. Broncos may be the worst team in football. I guess we'll see. Russell Wilson now does look washed. I thought he would come out and look a lot sharper after the year he had last year. New head coach Peyton's been in his face in the offseason trying to get him back to the Russell, what's he call himself, Mr. Unlimited. Mr. Unlimited. I thought he'd get him back to that, and it's just looked like last year, week one. I still think the Raiders are trash. Bills minus eight at home bounce back against the Raiders. I'm also going to take a bounce back for the Giants. That Giants game at home against Dallas. Yikes. Giants were an overachiever last year. Brian Dable, was he the coach of the year last year? I think he was. Everybody was talking about him. Out of nowhere, they make the playoffs. They started that rally of their year in London beating the Packers, and then they carried that to a 9-7-1 year. They went way over on their season win total last year. They made the playoffs. They beat Minnesota in Minnesota to make the divisional round before getting knocked out there. They gave Daniel Jones the contract. They just didn't look prepared for week one as they got dusted 40 to nothing at home in the rain against probably one of the best defenses in the NFL, that Cowboy defense. I see the Giants coming back and taking care of Arizona. They're minus four and a half. Cardinals hung in there against the Commanders. I don't think the Commanders are very good either. They hung in there. They covered. The Cardinals did cover that game. Their modus operandi, though, is to be the number one pick. They want the, they want the first. They could end up with the first two picks of the draft, number one and number two. They are in full rebuild mode. They don't want to win games. And this Giants team, I would expect, will be locked in after how bad they looked in week one, losing at home to their rival 40 to nothing. So I'll take the Giants minus four and a half at Arizona. And I'm going to take the Cowboys against the Jets. They're minus nine. I might take the under on this, too. You've got two elite defenses there, Cowboys and Jets. The over-under total points is 38 and a half. So 20 to 17, if it ends like that, or 20 to 10. I don't know. I'm going to take the Cowboys. I would think about the under there, though, because of how good the defenses are. At the end of the day, Zach Wilson is Zach Wilson. Cowboy defense, like the Jets defense, is probably going to be a top three, top five defense all year long. They will expose Zach Wilson. Full week to prepare, knowing what they're going up against. Cowboys minus nine at the Jets, or at home against the Jets. Bills minus eight against the Raiders. Giants minus four and a half against the Cardinals. Cowboys minus nine against the Jets. And we'll take Dion with the sunglasses and all. Minus 23 and a half against the Colorado State Rams. That'll do it for us here. We will get back after it on Monday, hopefully another victory Monday. Recap that, recap the Badger game, and take a look at where the Brewers are as they enter the final two weeks of the regular season. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you then.